0: To be able to gather again, it's amazing. We thought we'd have to, who would have thought that we would be, you know, not able to gather for so long? And now, Ron was saying to me earlier, gee, it's just like water to my soul. I said, you know what, Ron, we could have preached anything and it would have been water to all of our souls because everyone was just excited to gather again. But we believe God's done a whole lot and it's the start of many things to come. And we're super excited just about the season. I love the ministry that happened today. I was encouraged. I was challenged. I love this team that I get to lead. It's such a privilege. And I love just the diversity. The emphasis on Jesus is what keeps us together. If it wasn't for that, we would be in serious trouble because of the diversity of these gifts. But as everybody operates in their gift the way God intended, if it's centered around Jesus, which is what Ephesians chapter 4 actually tells us. And that's kind of where we get... Our basis of NCMI and now our, our team and how we function and it's actually Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four in verse seven he talks about uh, each each of us uh, uh, grace has been apportioned as Christ apportioned it and then he goes on and in, in his ascension when Jesus ascended he gave gifts to the church and I want to say that again that the ascension gifts they are Christ exalted gift meaning. That Christ should be exalted when these gifts are operating the way God intended. But it would seem right now that many people want to honor gifts and glorify gifts and elevate gifts. Can you imagine elevating a gift above the giver of the gift? I mean, Who would think we would do that? But we do do that all the time. Jesus didn't give gifts to take the place of Jesus. Jesus gave gifts to ready the church and mature her for Him. And so I've loved the emphasis, and this Christ-centeredness is not an optional extra, as you've heard, over and over. And we're never going to graduate from Jesus. We're never going to move on from Jesus. We're just going to get to know Him more and more. And out of that, we're going to operate in the call and the gifting. And, And I'm convinced that you can't earn the favor of God. But I know this. God favors the people who make much of Jesus. God looks for people who will do what He said, stick to His plan. God exalted Jesus to the highest place. God gave Jesus the name that's above every other name. God is very comfortable and happy and content for you and I to make much of His Son, Jesus. And I'll tell you why, because God made it that way. The Spirit's role and responsibility is to glorify Jesus. And so everybody knows their role, and we want to know our role, but all revolves around Jesus Christ. And I love that. And I I love the surety of that, and the certainty of that, and I love that we prayed for our nation tonight, but there is no hope for our nation through anything other than Jesus, and that's not cliche, that's becoming more and more true and fact, and those of us who have put our faith in anything other than Jesus have realized it's all coming down, it's all been shaken, but it's the King and His kingdom that will always, always rule and reign. As we go forward, this unshakable kingdom we are inheriting and receiving that cannot be taken, cannot be shaken. And shaking's difficult, but it reveals the awesomeness of this kingdom. And the Bible says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, and He will reign forever. That's our guaranteed hope. So the stuff we go through is real. And I'm not trying to downplay it, but in light of eternity and the kingdom we're receiving, the Bible says, let us with thankfulness approach our great God. For our God is a consuming fire. I've loved that emphasis. Let's stay there. Let's move from here and leave here and wherever we go, keep that emphasis. Because that's the only guarantee that we have. If you have a Bible, quickly go with me. To 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I-, I keep saying this, that I'm convinced that many of us lose our way when we lose our why. We lose our way when we lose our why. When we stop knowing why we do th- what we do, we begin to lose our way. I think in these times, in these seasons, we got to come back to the why again and again and again. I, I don't know what motivates you, and I love what was shared today, and Ron did in a phenomenal job about staying the course and running our race, and this wonderful kind of, kind of teaching on how to stay the course. It's brilliant stuff. It's that motivating. What motivates us? I love Ken's emphasis just on building this heart after God, and this incredible, and, and the challenge from from Craig, just to pioneer and keep going and take ground and, and make it matter. Give our lives to things that matter. But but in all of this, friends, they're like great preachers and we are got to live it out. But we go back to life and reality tomorrow morning. Where God has put us. And I was thinking, even in our worship this, morning, this evening, in our song, singing and praying, God has determined the places and times where we should live. I'm amazed God put me here for such a time as this. It's not by a default. It's by the hand of heaven that God has put you and I here for such a time as this. Paul writes that in Acts 17, God has determined the places and the times where we should live. He goes on and he said, God did this that men would seek Him, reach out and find Him, though He not far from each one of us. In Him, we live and move and have our being, is what Paul writes. So what that, I believe, is saying is that God has handpicked you and I, to be in this great nation with all her issues right now, coming out of a COVID and pandemic and all the unknowns and all the shaking. He handpicked you and I for such a time as this. Time and place. And I know people have this theology of place, but they forget a theology of time. And I'm sure some of us are real concerned about our children and our families and raising them in, in this, un, who knows what's going on next. And, and the fear that maybe grips us as leaders and people and parents and even the church seems fear, fearful right now. And I get it. But I've got to remind us that if God put us here for such a time as this, He's given us the grace not to make it and get through and survive this season, but to thrive and transform society and culture and people. I'm not here to cheerlead us. I'm here to challenge us to be this. God put us here for now, and we have a moment in history, in a sense, to write something of the future of the church by being the church God intended us to be. I don't know what motivates you, but I want to tell you, we've got to stay motivated. And it can't be a cheerleading meeting once a week or a download or a podcast that keeps me going. It's got to come back to what grips my heart. What have you said? What have you called me to do? And Paul seems to outline something here of what gripped his heart that made him stay the course, finish the race and finish the task and testify the gospel wherever he went. Persecuted, locked up, shut down, locked in beaten up, whatever, but stayed the course. Not perfect, but stayed there and finished. Why? Because he understood more than just a moment. He lived that life of gratitude and understanding. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, it says, So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. And what we we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in the right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making His appeal through us. I, I, I keep thinking about Billy Graham, and I'm sure you've all heard of Billy Graham, and whatever your take is on him, he's a man who impacted the world for Jesus like many, like very few. I remember watching an interview of Billy Graham many years ago, and he was asked the Queen of England was going to attend a meeting that Billy Graham was going to be speaking at, and the media got a hold of him. They asked Billy Graham, Billy Graham, how do you feel about the Queen of England being in your meeting tonight? And he said, it's an incredible honor. And they said, but surely you must be nervous to have the Queen of England in your meeting tonight. And he, he said, it's going to be a great honor, and I'm delighted she's there. And they kept probing probing him and getting it. And he eventually said this, I'm grateful she will be there tonight. But know this, I'm not fearful of her being there. Every time I preach the Word of God, Jesus, the King, is in our midst. I fear more the King who is always there than the Queen of England who will come and be the guest of honor in our meeting. We are not ambassadors of our church We're not ambassadors of this great nation. We're not ambassadors of NCMI. We are ambassadors of Christ. And ambassadors represent Him, not us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so Paul, in a sense, is giving us what motivates him. He's giving us this, the why. The first thing we see Paul saying is, I do what I do because of who I serve. The challenge for us going forward is, we don't serve man, we don't serve people, we don't serve the church, we don't serve each other, we don't serve nations. We, those things are not going to motivate us, dear friends. Paul said, I do what I do because of, who I serve. I serve Him, and that's why I get to do what I do. And the moment it becomes about any good thing, we want to quit because it burns us out. But what makes us get up and go to work? What makes us live it out? What makes us want to have great marriages and raise up great kids? What makes us as leaders care for the individual and stand up here weeping about one person is enough? What gets you there? Not insanity. I'm serving Him. That's why I get to do what I do. We've got to stay motivated this season. And it's not cheerlead each other. It's this revelation. I am who I am. I do what I do because of who I serve. I fear the Lord and I will stand before Him and give an account for the good and the bad. And for me, I want to live every day for that day of the return of God. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we should be doing what we do. The second thing he says, I do what I do because of what He has done for me. Not just I serve Him because of who I serve. But well, what He's done for me motivates me to want to keep going and carry on. And that's the why to the what. I do what I do because of what He's done for me. The love of Christ or my love for Christ compels me. I'm not forced to do this. I'm not hearing a preacher tell me, go and do this and beating me over the head. And I walk out of here feeling bad. Now, I'm compelled because of the love of Christ. His love for me, and my love for Him, is why I get to do what I do. Thirdly, I do what I do because of what He has made me to be. I'm a new creation. If I'm in Christ, I'm not a bad dude who's been made good. I'm not jumping through hoops to be this dude. I, I'm so tired of being told you this. You know, I, I've had a history too, and it's a bad history. And When I go back to some of the nations that I used to live in and grew up in, and my old friends, B.C. people, are still going on with the same stuff. But they see me, and they want to bring me back to where I was, and they want to remind me of the bad stories. And I hear you're a priest now, Tyron, and I hear they can't get their head around all this. And I'm trying to explain. I'm not a priest. We're all priests. But anyway... But, but it's like they always want to bring me and bring me back to, and, and listen, I get it. I mean, I've got a history. That's why I'm not on Facebook. I don't want my past to catch up on me. I don't. I don't want to know about all that. I mean, Ken did a great job explaining of the devil and Jesus, who you're going to listen to and testify with. We all got a history, dear friends, and if you were born good, you're still not good. So whatever you are, get over yourself, but you're a new creation. You're not a bad person who's been made good. You are a dead person who's been made alive. And you don't start there and jump through hoops to get to somewhere where you already are because of Jesus Christ. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a bad guy being made good. I'm a new creation. We can't walk in what God has for us if we don't get. I'm new. I'm not that. Stop telling me what I was. I'm not that. You're not that. You're not that bad dude. Stop living in what you were. You're new, born again. Paul said, I'm a new creation. I'm new in Him. The old is gone. The new is here. He goes on, he says, I do what I do. Fourthly, because of what He has called me to be. The call of Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on and tells us that we are now ambassadors Christ. And fifthly, he says, I do what I do because of what he has entrusted to me, the gospel. That's something of Paul's assessment of what motivates him. What motivates you? People lose their way when they lose their why. I want to say the things that motivated Paul are the same truths for every one of us in this room. And I've watched people fall out and step aside and Get mad because they're doing this for leaders and doing this for the elders and doing it for the church. And stop doing it for anyone and come back. I do it for him. And that's why I do what I do. I lead this great team. And this team is to leave their families all the time when we can again. And travel the world and miss all their kids' birthdays and raising. I've missed much of my kids. Not woe is me. But if we do it for each other, I'm angry at the region I'm at all the time. I'm jet lagged, I'm exhausted, I'm sleeping on the floor, I'm here, and then I'm preaching, and people don't show up, they can't even get out of their own bed and drive three miles to come to me, and I find across the world to be there, that can irritate anyone, even this man of God who's a good person again, new creation, I get irritated, and I'm like, what is wrong with you, and you know, I'm missing my kid's birthday, and I'm missing my son, my anniversary's missed again, and you can't even come to this meeting, what, what's my problem is I'm doing it for them. Can't sleep at night. I'm jet lagged. I'm because I'm doing it for them. Even if it's for him, if focus is on them, you get irritated. And you want to take. You want to stop. But if you're doing it for him, with him, friends, it's just a lot easier. And I'm not going to be as angry, and I'm not going to be mad. I'm just going to be joyful and find strength in what I get to do because I do it for him, not for anyone else. Now in saying that, I want to remind us again tonight that the church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is the center of God's plan, but in saying that the church is central, to God's plan, And when we lose those, we become the center of it all. And it's all about us. But we are incredibly significant and important because Jesus is not building anything other than His church. But the church is not revolved around us. He is the center of it all. We are central to it all. All right? So you understand that. And so can I just say this then, that the church is not the solution to the world. Jesus is the solution to it all. And somehow we think we are. So we've been told we are, and we're not. Because just look around the world today, and I love the church dearly, and I care because I'm part of the church, and we are into the church, and we do the church thing. But, but let me just tell you, most of the problems we see in the world today, can I blame the church for a minute? We're not the solution. Just look at our nation and wonder what's gone wrong. Half of us as the church are fighting each other, trying to be, trying to get in the way, trying to do it. And the reason is because Jesus is the solution, not the church. Which means that if we want to be part of the solution, (laughs) we've got to come back to being the church that represents Jesus, not ministry. As I said last night, how many people have tried the church in our nation? Most people. But they haven't tried Jesus. Why? Because the church has misrepresented Jesus. And so our reality of this is that Jesus came to us. We know that. The Bible says Jesus walks with us, but Jesus wants to work through us. We, we've got to better represent Jesus as His people. The Bible's very clear that Jesus is the head. The head. Not a head. The head. We don't need a two-headed monster, three-headed monster, whatever other. There's one head to this body, and it's Jesus's. And if it's not in what we're doing, then we're not functioning the way God intended, and we're misrepresenting Jesus to the world out there. Jesus is the head of the church. And that speaks about submitting and surrendering to the head. Ephesians 1:22 and 23. Ephesians 4:15. Ephesians 5:23. Colossians 1:18. And Colossians 2.19, just a few scriptures about Jesus being the head of the church. And as the head, Jesus seeks to express His character and nature through His body. And as the head, Jesus continues His earthly mission and ministry through us. As the head, Jesus directs both the church and the work of the church. He's the commander-in-chief of His church and His work. As the head, Jesus nourishes his body the way we feed our bodies is through our mouths jesus does the same with his body which he's a part of we are his body of which jesus is our head as the head jesus is the source of of the church's life jesus supplies all his body needs as we derive our life in being and coming from him We've all said this, but a body without a head is a corpse. And so Jesus is the head of the church, but He's also the heart of the church. Which means we're not just surrendered and submitted, now we're called to show Him His heart through us. The Bible tells us to live in Him, on Him, through Him, under Him, unto Him, for Him, with Him, like Him. How many of you know that's the heart of the church? So Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the heart of the church. And by the way, Jesus is the hope for the world, but also the hope for the church. He's the hope of the Christ in us, the hope of glory. Are you getting this, friend? So we love, okay, Jesus, you do the head thing, we'll do the heart thing. I've heard many preachers. Jesus, is the head of the church, we're the heart of the church. Well, the heart's pretty sick, it needs some fixing. Why? Because it's not him. <laughs> are you hearing this? Because right now we have a season where we get to be, not just talk about. But we've got to represent, we've got to come back to Jesus being the head, Jesus being the heart, you know, Jesus being the hope. And you know all we are? We're the hands and the feet. But the last time I looked, these hands and these feet. Do what this head and heart tell it what to do. Watch this. Watch this. My head is about to tell my hand to put the microphone in the left hand. Look at that. What initiated that? Not the hand. The head. If, I, if you think the hand did that, I need to help you with your biology. You, I mean, I'm stating a silly point, but I listen to people. We God, Jesus, you're awesome, but we're going to do our thing. No, no. We're here to represent the solution by being the solution, by letting Jesus be Jesus in and through us. We are the hands and feet. And I've grown up in the church, and I was thinking about some of the phases and the crazy things we've been through in the church, and and listen, I'm not here to mock, but we've done some silly things as the church and when, let me just tell you, it was in other countries, and we got it from you Americans, just so you know. So, thank you for it. But we got a lot of good from you too. But some of the stuff, and do you remember, I remember, I grew up in the church in the 70s. We used to march around. You remember this? Jericho? Remember we'd take the walls of Jericho, and if you still do the stop, okay, just stop. And, and we read, and so we would all march around seven times. You know the story of. This is how you're going to take out the most fortified city, march around and praise and worship, blow the trumpet and watch what God does. And so we literally do that. We've missed the point of the story. It's not do that. It's hear God and do what He says for that season. But we're living in the 70s and the 60s and they're trying to take down walls the way He did it once. They didn't work ever else anywhere else. So I love how we kind of learn and we're going to imply, but we're trying to fake something and we, we wonder why people are leaving and running far from us. We say, oh, it's Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. It's us being silly. We've got to fix it. Jesus wasn't silly. He was attractive. People came to Him. They wanted to be with Him. He was river. He was mesmerizing, not uh, repelling people. I, I, I remember we used to wear those little, I hope you haven't got one. If you have, cut it off. WWJD. Do you remember that? What would Jesus do? Do you remember that? Don't get mad now because you are about to get mad. But, but just, and so we all walked around with these things. And before we, you know, we were taught, before you make a decision, nah, would Jesus do this? No, then I better not. I mean, just, my, people put, my parents put that in my arms. I wouldn't sin, I guess. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus wouldn't do this. But Jesus is not watching. You know, it's just all this legalism. I mean, our hearts were good, but we're silly. The world looks at you and goes, creator of the world gave you that idea? I'm not mocking us. What I'm trying to say is, what I found with the WWJD story was that we fought each other all the way. Because we interpreted how we saw Jesus doing things by our understanding, our feeling, our heart. And it would almost seem that Jesus was different to everyone because we all had a different opinion. I believe Jesus would do this. Why? Because that's what I want to do. Those of you who are all about grace, you all, Jesus didn't care. He loved the sinner. We quote that even the woman caught in adultery. He loved, I mean, we can go to all the story. That's what Jesus would do. So this is okay. And those of you who are legalistic, oh, ah, Jesus stoned us and he spoke again and hypocrites and he hated the, and we could just, what I'm trying to say is it's not WWJD because if it's WWJD, it's what we want Jesus to be and do. And that's what's misrepresenting Jesus at every level almost seems like Jesus is confused, and He's not. We are. By pure experience, desire, what we want. And that's why I don't believe we can ever be the solution, because Jesus is, and we've got to come back to representing Him. So I think if you do want to wear one of those, don't say WWJD anymore. Put in there, what did Jesus do? Not not what would He, what did He then you guarantee to be doing what he called, and then we guarantee to be come back to being the true solution, because now we're representing our head, our heart and our hope by actually doing what he did.